JK. But seriously. Real football injury talk. <laughs> Welcome to an all-new type of episode on the Heads and Tails, I guess, media platform, since this is not really a traditional Heads and Tails episode, but um, this is the first JK, but seriously, real football injury talk episode with my man Josh Boyd, hence the J in the name, and your your usual host, Kaysom Derulo, with the K. Um, but we're not really kidding about some of the sports injuries that happened this week. And just to give you a little background on my friend Josh, who's really our foot, football expert on this segment of the podcast, because uh, I, I like football, although I just don't pay attention to all that like fantasy stuff. And I, I'm not as immersed as my buddy Josh is, so he's going to kind of fill in those blanks. And we really want this to be a place where you know fantasy football owners can find out about all the recent injuries in the league but also to start conversations about how we can maybe prevent these from happening in the first place. And by starting conversations, that's really how you try to solve most problems in the world. So we're trying to, to be that outlet here. So Josh, thanks for coming on and sharing your knowledge. So can you just give a little intro of yourself before we get started? Uh, yeah, for sure. So uh, I'm Josh Boyd. And like you said, I'm just uh, your typical run-of-the-mill football expert. So couch expert. Um, uh, we talked about this and. I was very excited to come on here and do this. It was like we were having a conversation. We were watching football one day, and we are talking we were about injuries. We at a Rutgers football game. We're at, yeah, we were at the Rutgers game, and we are talking about injuries, and we are talking about just football in general and how much it's evolved just in the past 8, 10, 12 years since I can remember watching games at home with my dad, watching games with my friend, going to see games live. And we just thought it would be a good idea to take this platform and kind of use it to see what we see on a Sunday to Sunday basis and kind of see how the NFL's changed and what they're doing right. And kind of what, from an amateur standpoint, what we think they're doing wrong, um, just to improve the game. I like it. And Josh has also suffered, uh, multiple injuries throughout his baseball career. He's a division one baseball player, a center fielder. And what did you have? You had some elbow injuries. Right? Yeah. I, I broke my elbow, displaced my, uh, medial epicondyle bone oh that one so i had surgery got a screw in i ended up tearing my ucl at one point in high school um i took a that's the tommy john ligament yeah it's the tommy john ligament i took a line drive in the face to mvp one time i had nothing to do with that nope broke five bones <laughs> in my face so i got plates and screws in my face uh, tore my labrum in college so my my mom never wanted me to play football because she thought i was gonna get hurt so i think i got hurt a lot more playing baseball than I ever could have gotten. Well, that just goes to show that you can really get hurt doing anything. For sure. Um, obviously, I've gotten pretty seriously injured playing football too, so there, there's that. Uh, but I think we should probably tell that one story about your, your face getting hit just because I think that's a, a lighthearted way to start off the episode. Okay, so this wasn't Kevin's fault at all. But <laughs> So we were – Kevin and I graduated in the same year from Westmore, we were playing freshman baseball. And we had a game, I think it was on a Monday during spring break. And I had sprained my ankle the day before, so I couldn't play in the game. So it was my bright idea that, like, I was just going to throw BP to the team before the game started. So I'm, like, throwing the BP, not paying attention, of course. And Kev was, like, right next to me, like, behind this uh, outside the cage. And we were talking about video games games and, like, something with songs and baseball. And, like, I'm just, like, trying to throw – I'm not even paying attention. And all of a sudden, I threw a pitch and – Got a line drive, and it hit me right in the face. It wasn't behind the L screen. It wasn't behind the L screen. I think I said, like, we were talking about something about creating a stadium or a franchise. And you're like, dude, my stadium is awesome. It was like, whooping. <laughs> that's that's kind of how it went down. Yeah. But Good times. So either way, it, it just further validates Josh's worthiness of being on the podcast. 
Appreciate it. So, Josh, let's start off with some of the injuries, the major injuries that happened in the NFL this week. First off, we have Allen Robinson. Can you kind of explain that one? So, Allen, this one's tougher from a from a Jaguar standpoint. They've looked so good yesterday. They've been so bad for so long, and everyone crushes Blake Bortles for being a bad quarterback. They came out, and they crushed the Texans. They got 10 sacks on defense, just took it to them. Um, the only downside was this: their number one receiver, kid from Penn State, uh, was down a little bit last year, but has been really good for the past two or three years. Tore his ACL, non-contact, caught a ball over the middle, going towards the sideline. Just simply looked like he was trying to slow down, catch his balance, and he like just tweaked his knee, and that was it. So that's that's a tough one. You hate to see the non-contact ones, just because especially as a fan, like you think they're so avoidable, but at the same time, you just – Yeah, a lot of times not. those are probably the most unavoidable. Yeah. It, it wasn't anything he was really doing. Nope. He's just kind of like unlucky step in, in one wrong direction. So so Jaguars fans and fantasy owners, I'm sure that messed you guys up. Um, and Not too much that we could talk about there in terms of prevention strategies. So uh, next one up we had David Johnson, running back, Arizona. Yeah, David Johnson, so this one's still – he says he's going to miss a lot of time. He he dislocated his wrist. Obviously, that doesn't sound good for anybody. I can't imagine. Probably doing that. looks a lot worse but than it is, though. Same type of thing. He was going, he was going out on on a pass route, kind of like a deep ball, and he just kind of got sandwiched between the corner and the safety, and there was just a helmet on a wrist. There's another thing that uh, they, we'll talk about a lot more later. But with especially safeties changing the target area of where they're trying to hit guys, and um, especially receivers, especially down the field, it's. Um, They've kind of restricted it to a really tight area. So um, he was he was trying to catch the ball like right underneath his uh, numbers, okay. right in the front of his jersey. And the safety just came over and was really doing the only place you could hit now, right in your chest, really. And his wrist was right there, and he just took a helmet to the wrist. So yeah, I mean, and a lot of times too, like your coach as a defender when you're tackling like bite ball. the ball yeah. like you so put you your head on the ball so exactly where it was. if your arm is between yeah. a face mask and a ball it's probably that's gonna exactly get hurt it was. that's a t- that's a killer for fantasy he was he was basically the first or second pick in every single draft this year so um if he's going to be out for eight ten weeks that's uh messes that, you up a little that, bit that, that's a crusher but so once again seems like the possibility that a rule change previously in terms of the target area for defenseless receivers could be at fault for this type of injury. But in the long run, I feel like that's one's going to happen. It's not a knee. It's not a head. I don't know. I feel like I'd take a wrist over a knee or a head any day for sure. Uh, then we got Danny Woodhead, who's coming off of an ACL, right? Yeah. Danny Woodhead tore his ACL last year. I think it was a non-contact thing too, when he was with the chargers and he got signed by the, by the Ravens this year. Um, and he, it's pretty serious hamstring. So, and this is one that I guess goes will lead into some other things. But with the preseason now, like, is this one that is caused by not practicing as much or not playing as much in the preseason? Um, like, you saw a lot of guys. You see, saw a ton of guys in the in the New England game, Kansas City game this this first week. They were cramping up. It's up in New England. And it was 60 degrees, and there was guys cramping up in the second half almost every defensive series. So it's like these guys, um, just with the way practice has changed and the amount or the lack thereof that they hit and they condition um like one of the things that's been bargaining out is the two-a-days they don't do that anymore so it's uh, how ready are they to play a full game the first week of the season it's a good point uh do you remember do you know what point of the game that hamstring injury happened it was early it was early, early it, it, yeah it was in the first half i was gonna was, say i'm like in the first half you know since it was the first half i wouldn't think it's like an overuse thing, obviously. And plus, we, we just said that 
they they're practicing less and less. So in terms of like not being recovered, it's probably not the issue. Um, maybe it is like a conditioning thing. I, I don't I don't know specifics. Do you know which hamstring it was? No. The injured side or non-injured I'm side? I'm not sure. That's a good thing to. Yeah, we have to check that out. Yeah. But yeah, it could be like a rehab thing, some sort of weird imbalance. But not to get too far into it or like make things up that you know, are completely irrelevant. Um, next injury we have is Kevin White, wide receiver of Chicago. The old collarbone injury. Yeah. So Kevin White, this is his fourth year in the league, and this is good his name. Third season-ending injury. So he basically he was a first-round pick out of West Virginia for the Bears, and he just can't stay on the field. It's he had like a fractured fibula the first year, and then he just he's done a whole every year he comes back. Last year he got hurt in training camp. He didn't make it the regular season. So this is another one for Bears fans. It's tough loss. Having having the Falcons on the ropes, having them, and then it's this this guy who you want to be your number one receiver after you got rid of Alshon Jeffrey. Um, they had a, another receiver in the preseason tear in ACL, so basically their top two receivers from last year are gone. And this this is the kid that they drafted first first round to try to be their guy this year with the new quarterback, the rookie quarterback. Um, and again, first game he's out. So it's, it's tough to get that injury prone tag, and it seems like Kevin White probably has that. But based off the injuries that some you've of those explained. Guys, it's just that's the way it is. I, I I don't know what I don't know I don't know how to explain. I it. I mean, to man, me, like fractured bones, it's not really like a preventable thing. Like you, you could you could train all you want in the off season, but like no matter how big your muscles are, like you break a bone, yeah. you break a bone. It's bad luck for some guys. Yeah, it's it's tough. So feel bad for any any Kevin suffering out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the the next one is a, a host of Texans players. You said we have five players diagnosed with concussions, uh, including all three tight ends on the active roster. So yeah, that's, so uh, this one is interesting to me. I don't know when and what point during the game uh, they were diagnosed with, with concussions. It's just Bill O'Brien came out after the game and said we have five guys who are not, not just in concussion protocol that were diagnosed with concussions at the game. Um, and like you said, all three of their active tight ends on the roster. So obviously they need to do something to uh, just have field it bodies for at the tight end position for, for next week's game but more interesting than that is all right you guys are going to get concussions and it seems like um just from the last couple of years they're diagnosing it a lot more and it's not uh, it's it's getting it's getting to the point where um maybe four or five years ago in the exact same game maybe one of those five guys would have they would have diagnosed w- with a concussion but the scary part is is so the texans play on thursday this week so for the turnaround yeah it'd be interesting to see like how many of those guys are going to be in and it's it's this is the thing that kills me with the, and we 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 we'll we'll talk about how a lot of guys are saying how bad the quality of play was this week. Um, for years since we've gone or since the NFL has gone to the full slate of Thursday night games, yeah, Thursday night game every single week. Where I mean, when we were going up, it was Thanksgiving, and then there was a couple games at the end of the year. So, but now with the TV um, and the NFL network and the money and the and the contract that they put on making a game every Thursday night quality of play on Thursday nights has been at least the last couple of years has been really bad and especially the later you get into the season and the guys uh, most of the players have come out and said it, it's like we we don't have enough time you know we don't have enough time for our bodies to recover to play a Thursday night game after, yeah. a, after a Sunday game I remember that was a big discussion last year so uh, it's just it, it it will be interesting to see this week how many of those guys play um how many of those guys they they hold out just because of the concussion protocol itself it takes a while to get out of it so especially one I think the 
last or the second to last part of the protocol is going through a full practice. So when you were playing on Thursday night, it doesn't you, really give you a lot of time to do that. Yeah, you only practice one day. They're, they're, they only have one full practice day during the week. Right. So um, if they're not practicing that day, they won't be clear and they won't play. But uh, yeah, hopefully, it's just, just uh, Thursday nights in general, it's, it's very it's very difficult. Uh, it's just it's kind of they've gotten to the point of oversaturating football on TV, and if the products keeps continuing to be poor um it's one of those things that isn't going to help the nfl at all right and to me a thursday night game like switching it back to sunday and taking out that monday like yeah you're taking one night out a week where football is not going to be on tv but if i feel like that's an easy way to make the game safer yeah for sure it's a lot and i think it was one of those things the players didn't really have a choice on and i think i mean i don't really have anything evidence back this up but i think um before they experienced it and before they went through it um it's a it's a lot different you know i don't think they realized how significant the impacts were going to be um whereas with that turnaround yeah like you said four or five years ago there was probably three four teams a year that were playing on thursday night and it was towards the end of the year um now every single team is playing a thursday night game basically so it's everyone's experiencing it and everyone's getting to go through it. And uh, obviously from a player's standpoint, the reviews of it haven't been very good. Uh, I don't, you can't blame them. What, what, what if you made it like after a bye week or something? Like if you could like finagle the schedule so yeah. that your Thursday night games came after a bye. So that's what they try to do with London. So basically when a team goes to London, in the, the first couple of years they were going to London – they required them. They they just built it in the schedule. They would have a bye before or after, depending on. I think they gave them the option. Um, like this year, the Dolphins are going over to London, and they gave the team the option if you wanted the bye before or after. And they said they didn't. They didn't. Obviously, it doesn't matter now because they took their bye week this week because of all, all all the hurricane stuff. But that's one of the things they do with London, just because like the the trip to London is so taxing and so far away, it kind of messes with your, yeah, your schedule sleep, no matter what. Sleep schedule, so, yeah, everything. But. With there not being buys until week four, and they're not being buys after I think week thirteen, like there's Thursday night games every week now. So right. I mean, if you're playing the first week or the second week or the third week, um, or towards the end of the year in December, if you're playing on Thursday, you can't build in the buy, you know. Um, and that's kind of one of the things they've been talking about too is making the preseason two games, and then building in a second buy somehow. So maybe adding another regular season game. But I, that's another recovery, uh, another option for guys to get more time during the course of the season, which I think is the huge, which is which is the biggest thing. And honestly, like just talking to some of the, the former NFL guys that I've had on the pot, the the normal Heads and Tails podcast, recovery is like one of the top things that these guys do to stay healthy, you know. And like when you're taking that recovery time away from them, you're just asking for guys yeah. to get hurt and for the quality of play to diminish yeah. because you don't have guys. Go, be, with the ability to go 100% out there. Um, So that's a good transition into um, our next topic, which is that a lot of the media outlets were kind of saying that uh, the the quality of play in week one was pretty poor. And I think the stat that you had pulled was that two out of uh, 12 games on Sunday was decided by seven points or less. Yeah, only two games. So every 10 out of 12 were decided by more than – Eight points. Gotcha. Eight so points like or more. bigger. So there yeah. were, I mean, not all of them. Were People blowouts. not putting up fights. Yeah, yeah. there was there, there were some 10, 11, 12 point games. There were some two possession games, but then there was the Rams Colts, which was 39, 37 point point difference at the end of the day. So uh, it, it it makes sense. And just from watching the games all day yesterday, um, 
and it always seems it's kind of tough at the beginning of the year because it's especially with the officiating it always seems like there's stuff that they do the first couple weeks at least the first month that the refs do that they kind of relax on towards the end of the year but it's been a point of emphasis all preseason so like it always seems there's more penalties early on but the amount of penalties this week where it's it's that's another thing that makes the games hard to watch so and, if every five seconds or is there, yeah and, and I we're think, talking like offsides or like holding or everything what? everything everything from from like your little lined up wrong to defensive holdings and offensive holdings and delay of games and just little small stuff that's you would think should be worked out through practice and that kind of thing. But one of me, like I said, it makes the games hard to watch and it's just, it's visually, it's visibly, visibly sloppy, you know, and it's just, yeah, it looks like a poor product out there. Yeah. And, and, and the, just from how bad the games were and there, there were some teams that played, played really bad, like the Bengals and Dalton turned the ball over four times, the quarterback play as a whole and the offensive line play as a whole was really, we talked about it. The Jaguars had 10 sacks. I mean, there was, there was multiple teams that had, one, two defensive touchdowns and five or more sacks. Like that's a lot for to have five sacks in a game. That's right. that's that's I don't know if that's more on the defense or yeah. but you would think it's more on the offensive line. And Just being terrible. Yeah. And like it's like I said, Jacksonville having ten sacks in a game, like that's ridiculous. Yeah, who would have who would have thunk it? But I mean it's one of those things where and this is what offensive linemen say this all the time. I mean, a lot of offensive line play, especially at that level it's just communication and cohesiveness of, of the unit. And, like, these guys have probably played two, three drives together, maybe all preseason. And that's assuming most of them are some – they're going to be different than the one, than they were last year with free agents and guys they drafted and um, there's guys going to different teams. So your, your offensive line is, one, it's going to be – for the most part, it's going to be different. At least one or two guys are going to be different than they were last year. So it's going to take time and experience to, like, play with those guys to be – be good right. to have really good offensive line play to protect your quarterback, and that's see. I'm in the school of thought of the the health and safety. Try to limit contact throughout the summer. Like the less you're getting hit in the head, the better. In in my opinion, uh, to me, and I think more so than the practice side of it is the game side. Like. I always go back to I feel like oh when I like I didn't even play but when I used to watch when I was a kid when I was this and that like ten years ago before guys and guys would get hurt guys got hurt in preseason and like and now everyone's so fearful of their guys getting hurt in preseason um if you, if you get hurt you might get hurt you know it's football you, you could get hurt like it's like they're playing now for real week one guys are getting hurt so but the amount of time starters, JK, but seriously <laughs> but seriously you're gonna get hurt but <laughs> the amount of time guys are playing in the preseason now it's a lot less than it than it was a lot less than it was 20 years ago they, they mean 20 30 years ago dudes played every uh, they, they they played the whole game right. you know and now they're going they're playing um they're playing four games one they might play close to a half and other than that they're probably playing one or two series at most for for the starting guys the guys who are don't end up playing very much are the guys who end up playing the most in, in the in the preseason so uh just live game rep action is so much different than anything else and it's just and it's 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 a risk it's with all it's with all the money involved and all high contracts, yeah, of course you don't want Steelers don't want Rosberg to go out there and and get hurt in the preseason. Their season's over, you know. It's just, yeah, yeah they, they 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 might be manageable and they might win a couple games and they they won't go zero sixteen if Ben gets hurt, but they're not going to win the Super Bowl without him. So it's like, and being a veteran, how much time does he need? But like, their offensive line, they need to play together. And the more they can play in the preseason, the better it's going to be for them down the road. Yeah, to me, it's all like playing sports in general is all about like risk reward benefit 
right? And this is exactly what we're talking about now. Like, do you let your starters play more to play better together, and then by playing better, they're going to have less injuries because they're going to be they're going to know the plays better. They're going to you know, they're going to be more game prepared, game ready, right? Yeah. But at the same time, you can get that freak, you know, you get rolled up on and right, roll an ankle or or tear an ACL, and right. then one of the guys you need is out for the season. Well, just like an STD, probably the best uh, form of protection is uh, abstinence. So <laughs> that's what it is. So they don't play. Yeah. And, so they don't play, and they kind of figure, you know what? We'll we'll work through it as we need to, but at the same time, it makes week one. At times, tough to watch. Herpes in the preseason. That's not good. No good. Herpes no anytime is no good. No one likes that. All right, so I think after that conversation, I'm still for abstinence. Yeah. I, I, I agree. Because, like, how do you quantify? You can't. Yeah, you can't. You like, can't. that's the problem with, like, injury prevention is, like, you can't quantify an injury that was prevented because it never happened. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I think it's good that we had differing opinions on, on, on this one. So our next topic of discussion is a new helmet that's out. Uh, it's called v- uh, Vices is the company. And I'm trying uh, – the, the helmet model itself is called the Zero One. And Alex Smith is wearing it. I think Richard Sherman's wearing it. There's a bunch of guys that I see wearing it. I know Richard Sherman has, is, like, invested in yeah. the company. So it said I'd be, it's based in Seattle, but a lot of the Chiefs guys – I don't know how it's connected with the Chiefs, but there was a lot of the Chiefs guys that are wearing it this year. But I was, like – I was talking to a Rydell rep at this one sports medicine conference I was at in May, and they were showcasing this new helmet that they had. And I asked him, like, yo, so what do you guys think about Vices? And he's like, uh, well, Richard Sherman, he's like, I guarantee you you'll see Richard Sherman wearing a, a Revolution Speed, which is like the Rydell one yeah. that, like, everyone wears yeah. uh, in the in the season. And he's not. He's not. So yeah. it could they, there could be a competitor in uh, an industry that has been run by the same companies for years and years and years, two of the biggest being Rydell and Shut. Yeah. Um, but back to – the, the helmet itself and what makes it much different than any other helmet is that it features an outer shell um, that yields like a car bumper upon impact. So it kind of like crumples. So instead of like hearing those big loud hits that you hear on the sideline when you're at a, at a game with the, the helmets colliding with each other, like these would be like a softer blow. So that, that's kind of a different approach to helmet design and vices does not claim that the helmet reduces concussions uh, but it does tout it as a highly engineered piece of equipment designed to reduce impact forces Um, and the the helmet has multiple built-in layers uh, including a soft outer shell and flexible underlying columns that work together and absorb the blow so i'll put a video in the show notes of this episode so you can take a look at kind of the science behind it and to their credit, the Zero One helmet that they produced ranked first out of 33 options that the players have out on the field, um, including some by the notable helmet makers that we've discussed, Shutt and Rydell. Uh, this was all done in, in laboratory testing, so you can only do so much or take so much from that. Um, the only other thing that I wanted to note about this is that the helmet costs fifteen hundred dollars, so it's not like it's that readily available for like kids and youth yeah. sports. It's kind of like a barrier to protection if this proves to be something. Um, yeah, oh, you would hope at the same time, or if it does become a market leader, 
that the price comes down uh, and, the, and the technology that they're using um, gets a little bit easier for them to produce it and make it more right, on, a, on a mass scale. Right, then shuttle take a similar approach maybe. Yeah. I, the biggest thing with the helmet to me, and I was thinking about this a lot, is just with all the money, and we talked about the collective bargaining agreement, how the players fought to keep, uh, you said this, they, they fought to keep the option to wear whatever helmet they want. Um, but at the same time, that's something that should be looked at when, from the league standpoint, the next time the CBA comes up, it's like, if we have a product that, um, from testing on the field and testing in the lab that performs better than any other product as a league, we need a mandate that everybody's using this helmet, you know, um, I don't know to what extent they can do that with some big money, I'm sure, and some other companies that have been around for a much longer time. Um, and that's not to say that one of the Shut or Rydell can't come out with a, with a helmet that's even better, you know. But maybe it's a year-to-year thing that's – if this helmet's performing the best and reducing concussion or for to whatever they can quantify it, um, it's got to be mandated throughout the entire league. Everybody's got to be wearing that. Right, and we talked about this before we started recording. Is like – that decision isn't something that the NFL like that's got to be collectively yeah. bargained. Yeah. But it's one of those things. It's like it's very similar to when the NHL started mandating the visors, right? So basically, you can grandfather it in, right? So I've like, talked about this in my Riley Cote interview. Yeah. Yeah. So so from here on out, every rookie who comes in the league, you got to wear this helmet. You don't have a choice. You know, if you if you've been in the league already, you can continue to wear what's most comfortable for you and what you like the best. But from point X, from here on out. This is what we're doing because we found that this is the safest for – but it seems like just from a lot of other things that they've done, it's not always the safest. Two guys on the top of my head, I already know, wear helmets that were, like, used when I, we were in eighth grade. Jason Witten still wears this, like, Air Pro by, like, shut. Yeah. That's, like, ancient. And Tom Brady. Tom Brady wears this Rydell uh, model that was used, like, in the early 2000s, like – late 90s yeah so but these guys they think like well i got this far with this helmet so why change it you know but yeah it makes sense it's just at some point it's got to i think something should change i I, think i think the guys that come in the league now they kind of grew up in an era where concussion prevention was more prevalent so these guys are probably already trying to wear the best helmets and latest models out there so it yeah. probably will be naturally yeah. grandfathered in it just seems like a controllable thing for the nfl that they can control more than they are right but we'll see it's got to have the swag factor that's always important it's got to look cool that's true okay let's talk about some new rules uh that are coming about in the 2017 season um some points of emphasis that i i researched that they kind of went into the, the rules committee, went over. Um, low hits on passers, uh, rule to design to protect quarterbacks in the pocket from forcible contact to the knee uh, area. Uh, I feel like this this has always been a rule. Yeah, they've, they've, they've enforced this a lot. And, I mean, some of them you can't prevent. Obviously, the ones that you're not – you see it a lot when guys get blocked in and they're just – they're all already falling down. Right. So, it's, it's tough to that aspect. But um, – Whatever they can do to protect the quarterbacks, they're going to do. Whether whether anybody likes it or not, they're going to set air on the side of caution, especially with quarterbacks. They're going to do that. Right. And w- these next few that I'm talking about aren't necessarily like rule changes. They're just points of emphasis that the rules committee was taking into account when making the new rules. Uh, the next one is blind sign blocks that occur when a blocker is running toward a parallel 
running toward or parallel to his own end line, and he blocks a player in a defenseless posture in the head or neck area. I mean, to me, this thing is like I, w- I want to see more of this because I, when I was a pl- when I played, I did this exact thing. I would literally, if I wasn't in the play, I would just sit back and just try to pick off someone who wasn't looking like yeah. completely away from the ball. Yeah. There was a there was a call in the, uh, in the Steeler game yesterday. There are probably a lot of Steeler examples this year, but yeah, uh, Josh is a big Steelers fan. There was a play in the Steeler game. I've never, I swear, I've never seen anything like it. So they they ran a play action to Le'Veon Bell, and he came. So he he they faked it to Le'Veon. Le'Veon like kind of came up to the line of scrimmage and like veered off to his left, and the left end. So he's coming from around from Ben's right side beat the right tackle all right and was coming and he was like he was running parallel Run, with the goal line because yeah. they were they were like back towards their own end zone and like Le'Veon sees him at the last minute and like turns around and so now he's like facing his own end zone going back towards where the quarterback is in the backfield so he turns around and like kind of tries to chip him and they call a personal foul for a crackback block on and Le'Veon yeah and I was like he he never saw him Right, he wasn't engaged with anybody else, but it's very similar what that rule states. So, I mean, the the end, who I guess didn't see him, but he's not really defenseless because he's going after the quarterback. Right. So, well, defenseless in that he doesn't see the blocker coming. Like, would that guy? Did that guy make the play? No. Would he have made the play? Hard to say. Maybe. Because that's that's my thing. It's like. If you have no shot yeah. of making the play, like why? Yeah. What is it? it? Wasn't even like a decleating block though. It was like he just like almost chipped him to like right. get stop his momentum from going towards the quarterback and like out towards the back of the end zone. Yeah, I don't think based off I didn't see the play, but based off of what you've described, like I think if you start calling penalties on those, that's when you kind of abuse the power of the rule and kind of make it a. Make it an option for people to complain about it. Yeah, I think – I mean, a lot of times, and like I said, especially early in the season, some of these penalties that they could call, they're like so to the letter of the law without like taking into account like how football is played. You know what I mean? Like especially holdings. Like you see, I saw a bunch of holdings yesterday where like the offensive lineman beat the defensive lineman. Like the defensive lineman was beat and falling down. And like just in the course of your natural – how your body works, they get called for a holding because he ends up getting quote unquote thrown to the ground. Like if you're going to call for holding, it should be because all right, as me as an offensive lineman, I got beat, right? And I'm trying to I'm trying to stop you from getting the quarterback, so right. I'm going to pull you down or I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to hold you. Yeah. I mean, I saw three or four times yesterday where it wasn't had no impact on the play. The offensive lineman wasn't close to getting beat. And he just manhandled the guy and, like, almost was like a wrestling takedown. And that's why it was a holding call. And they call it a holding. And it's yeah. like there's comes to some point where, yeah, by the letter of the law, that might be holding. But at some point, it's like the guy just got beat. Right. You know? It's, 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 it's tough when it's like an objective but thing. But you can always, I mean, with, with, with officiating. This, should, this can't be an officiating podcast, unfortunately, because you can always complain about the refs for all day, every day. Right. So The thing that kind of – I wanted to, to talk about, and I feel like this is a good point to insert it, even though we're in the middle of something, is reviewing, like the, having the ability to review illegal hits. Yeah, I, I think that needs to happen. I, I do too. Like in college, they do it. Uh, and honestly, everyone in the college, people complain about the targeting rule, but I, I think it's the best thing they have. Because it, it puts that thought in the back of your mind that, 
yeah, every once in a while, there's going to be a, a, a guy in college who's called for targeting and gets ejected that you probably couldn't have stopped it, right? And it was just in the normal course of the game and it looked worse or it sounded worse just because it was it ended up being helmet to helmet and it was something that you couldn't protect against. But at the same time, there's some that there's some hits that need to be taken out. And I think the college targeting rule is something that the NFL really needs to look at. Um, I don't I don't know if they can unilaterally do it or how they would need to do it with the players association. But I mean, if the players in the back of their mind know that there's a chance that I'm going to get thrown out, not just I'm going to get a personal foul. And it's going to be 15 yards, right? I'm going to get thrown out. I think that's going to change how defensive backs are playing a little bit or for everybody, all defensive guys for, for, for that matter. Like it's the penalty right now is, isn't large enough. I think for them, for them to stop it, even with the fines that they do. So what is the penalty now? It's 15 yards for just like unnecessary roughness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a 15-yard penalty and it's automatic first down. So, but if you're going to throw that guy out of the game for that same penalty, but the college just calls it another, college calls the calls the what they call in the NFL unnecessary roughness, right? The defenseless receiver penalty. But is they that is that money out of the player's pocket for not playing? Well, you can make it that way if you wanted to. Take well, their take, take their game check away. You know. That's that that that's that, that that's their file. It's going to be different for everybody, but yeah. I mean, if you if you get ejected for targeting, you're 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 getting your game check doc too. Yeah, a lot of people are going to complain about it, but that's the way you're going to take it out of the game, right? You know, not by just giving the team a 15 yard penalty. All right, all right, back on track here. So we got the next one, next talking point, or um, I'm sorry, the next point of emphasis by the lead, the rules committee is launching fouls when a defender leaves both feet or making forcible contact with any part of his helmet at, to any part of a defenseless player's body. I mean, this is this rep- is ba- yeah, redundant. This, yeah. the same um, that's, that's, that's basically your, tar- your targeting penalty in college. But right. that's just in the, now it's just they're emphasizing it even even more. And But like I, like I said, it's just a 15-yard penalty. Right. Um, I, this is a good time to talk about what Fitzgerald said. So – I read an article this week about how Larry Fitzgerald seeks out defensive backs on the opposing team um, readily before games, especially young guys that he's never played against before, and tells them, I want to get hit high. Don't hit me low. If if you hit me high and you get fined, I'll pay your fine. And that's like uh, – I think a lot of guys share that same, especially the bigger um, receivers like Gronk and um, – I, I heard someone ask Tony Gonzalez about it, and Tony Gonzalez said the exact same thing. He's like, I used to go up to guys and tell them, look, don't don't go for my legs, don't go for my knees. You know, if you, if you get fined, I'm going to pay for it. You know, but I want you to hit me up up high rather than hit me down low. And like, I get it. You know, because at this point, like, it's their livelihood, right? So, um, and with this generation of players, they they still truly feel that they'd rather get their bell rung than blow out their knees. Um, and they just feel like if you blow out a knee, well, it's going to be a year, and it's going to be a lot harder to come back from. It's going to change the way they play. Right. The which, only the problem with that is like it's not necessary. It, it it's true today. It's the here and now. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. You're not thinking about your life after football. Like you're probably going to have arthritis in your knees no matter how many if you had an ACL injury or not. But if yeah. you get hit in the head, but it's 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 to me it's a problem that people think that way. 
and and especially receivers they and and they they do and like they, they would they would still rather get hit high than get hit low it's just like beckham you saw the beckham play in the, in the preseason everybody saw that like he got like and like the the um the guy on the browns took a lot of shit for it it's okay he, explicit like, content good he, like he 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 got he got crucified for it on, on twitter for going low in a preseason game but like that's where guys want to be tackled now you know uh Maybe it was a little too low, I guess. But at some point, like, how can you even make a make the judgment at that point? So uh, it's 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 really hard because that's that, that's the, that's the hardest thing in football for me right now is defensive backs making plays on on receivers and plays on the ball. Why? Because a lot of times the the just the target area for a defensive back to hit is so great that the only way to ensure you're not going to get a penalty is to not hit the guy. I don't agree with that. But I you see you you see so many times where some are some uh, obviously some are you're going to get hit in the head and you're going to there's times that there's going to be blatant, blatant blatant calls. But how many times you see receivers go over the middle, catch a ball and then turtle up and go down. So where I'm extending for the ball now as a defensive back when I'm going to make a play on you, my target area is where it should be. And now once I make the play and try to d- protect myself as the receiver, now the target area that you thought was right is now my head. I, I see what you're saying. And that hap- and to me, that happens more. And that gets it gets called because it's still helmet to helmet and they're still defenseless receivers. But that hit happens more throughout the course of a game, throughout the course of the season, than you're like – you're the one that they make an example of, you know, then yeah. they're truly defenseless and they're getting the, 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 the target area was wrong, you know, and it's, and it's like helmet to helmet contact. I, I don't particularly agree with that only because I've written articles about this. I think in my Jordy Nelson uh, two episode rant about his rib injury last year, I, I feel like the target area that you're allowed to hit, which is basically above the knee and, below the shoulders if you stand up that's like a pretty big target area and if we if we think about what we talked about before about when you're making a tackle when you're taught everything ever since you're little you're taught to bite the ball yeah right so like most of the time when you're catching the ball if you're either out if you're outstretched with the ball your target zone's huge yeah you have like the maximal target area to make a clean hit yeah if you're if your hands are if you bring the ball in, you're yeah. still like at the chest level. Yeah. I just think that the movement from like fully out outstretched yeah. to tucking and like ducking and turtling yourself, I don't think it's like that fast. I think if you watch if you watch where most helmet to helmet defenseless receivers are, is that's the scenario. That's that's the most often scenario. Is I'm going for the target area that i think is like you said from thigh to chest and by the time i get there and now now once he's changed where his level is now it's helmet to helmet i i was watching when i was watching the thursday night game last week with the patriots um and the chiefs i don't i'm not good with names this is why it's good to have you here but one of the wide receivers for the patriots 
he's number eighty. Amendola. When, when he came across the middle, he got saw hit that. by a linebacker. Yeah, yeah. but to it me, it was in the thigh. No, that was I thought it was higher than that. It was. It was like it was. It was close. To it me, was, it was in a region where you could not get hurt. It was like picture perfect. Like if I wanted to get tackled, that's like how oh, I would want to be tackled. I'm not saying. <laughs> yeah, he's, I'm not saying he didn't feel it. It's not a hell. It's not a. It's he's not, not a tearing his ACL. He's yeah. not getting a concussion. Yeah. Maybe he got like a thigh contusion or something. Yeah. But I'm just saying, like, in terms of serious injuries that are going to keep you out or like make yeah. you drool when you're, yeah, out no. of the league. Yeah. I feel yeah. like that was picture perfect. Right. I'm glad you saw that. That yeah. too. I is with that specific one. It's that was one of those plays where like the linebacker knew it was coming. I think. From just it was Derek Derek Johnson made the hit on it, and it looked like the whole entire play. Derek Johnson knew he was going to come across the middle, and like he he basically read the play, so he wasn't. But I was just happy his, to see. But his target was right the whole time. Right. But his target never changed. Right. In, in in that aspect, I've just seen similar plays in the past where like guys would freaking go for the guy's knee at that point in time. Yeah. So I thought it was a step in the right direction. It was worthy of highlighting. Um. The uh, the last point of emphasis for the rules committee was contact downfield, and this is all kind of the same stuff that we've been talking about. But I just, think yeah, every everything is just trying to take unnecessary hits out of the ex- game. That's exactly what it is, unnecessary, or as uh, contacts, just uh, just guys that aren't in the play. As Kyle Turley put it, extracurricular hits that yeah. are like you just don't need to do, and that was one of the things that he wished that he didn't do in his career was the yeah. extracurricular. Yeah. And this stuff. is and this is just this is a good point that we talked about last last week when we were kind of not even brainstorming about this, just having a conversation. It's the 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 football mentality is not only play to the whistle, play through the whistle, right? And it's for forever for growing up, like you're always taught play through the whistle, play through the whistle, play through the whistle, and it's like it's really looked down upon to make a play that might be seen as lazy, right? Um, where it's like tackling a guy out of bounds right. or like jumping on a pile yeah, You're not late, hustling downfield. You know? You're not doing your it's job. It's like yeah. all growing up, if you don't jump on a pile late, not like enormously late right. where it's obvious, but if you're not getting in there and getting to the ball, um, you're getting criticized and you're getting yelled at for not playing hard enough, right? right? Not playing through the whistle. and Loaf. But a lot of but a lot of times that stuff is un, it, it is it's it's unnecessary. It's almost a waste of energy and a waste of effort. But I think that's something that needs to be coached out of football is that mentality of going going that extra step and going that extra mile. Where like that's those that those are times when people get hurt, and it's just a lot of times like we just said it's unnecessary. Like the play's over, guys are clearly down. Like you don't you don't need to do it. So if you if we can get to a point where that stuff's coached out of the game, where it's not looked down upon and it's not um, admonished for not finishing a play, I think that's 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 the first step in the right direction for the for the football because that stuff should be that stuff should be taken out of the game. It just it doesn't it's a it's right. They're unnecessary. It's that doesn't change the really plays. game at all. No. Yeah. All right. Cool. So. The rule, the new rule changes that were actually rule changes. Uh, one's an unsportsmanlike conduct for leaping on fi- on a field goal, um, or, or like an extra point. So try guys trying to like jump, jump over, over the, the line, line yeah, to, see, to block. You've seen that a lot in the past couple of years, dudes jumping over the line and like. So the old rule was you just couldn't touch anybody, 
So if you made contact with anybody, it was a penalty. But if you cleared the line, who cares? It was fine. And like you, the guy in the Patriots, McClellan did it a couple times last year. Um, they would just time it up. But I mean, they're taking advantage of the center because the snapper is so much lower than you would normally um, ever be as a center. So you can't do it during during a regular course of play. But now they just took it out altogether. It is. It's just another. It's yeah. I get it. It worked a couple times, but it's it's an unnecessary play. Right. And you're kind of exposing the person who's hurtling to injury, oh, a lot. Yeah, severe injury. Yeah. You can get like flipped up there. Um, next rule is stronger enforcement of penalties for very egregious. I can't even say that word. Egregious. It's like agree. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, egregious. Let's go with that. Nice, Josh. Another good reason to bring you here for Welcome. pronunciation. But that's just harping on what we already just talked about for the last forty minutes. Um. Another a new possible new rule, which I don't know if it's been official yet, is overtime being shortened yeah. for 10 minutes. They did, they're, they're, they're doing that. Or, t- or two 10 minutes. So it has been confirmed. Yeah, they're doing 10-minute overtimes this year. So personally, I think I'm a fan of this only because that's less time on the field, less contact. Yeah, it shortens the game. And I, these guys are, like, out there for forever if that's the case. Like, if they play a full, you know, 15-minute – quarter it's yeah, like I'm, honestly i don't know what the best way to do overtime is um i mean it's it's one of those things where people are going to complain about it no matter what right? yeah i'm just worried that when it's it was, gonna, if it's like soccer and like we have no, more ties that's, that's, uh, i can't this is like that's, that's true too but like uh, when it was sudden death people complained about it because one team didn't get the ball maybe yeah but, i don't like sudden death yeah but it's it's hard to do not sudden death and have it take a short amount of time. You know? Yeah, that's true. Sometimes they'll end. I think they said last year it affected only two games. But, I mean, you're basically turning into a two-minute drill the entire overtime, which is fine. But, um, like I said, I agree. I think it should be shorter. Um, I don't know, just have a field goal kicking contest or something. Yeah, I it's like, like that. It's like a hockey shootout. Trick shots. Yeah. Have some judges. No, that's going to make it more complicated. Um, Gronk. So, Gronkowski – was quoted uh, about using his concussions as an excuse to do crazy things. And specifically his quote was, I don't really think about, and then in parentheses, life after football that much right now at this stage of my life, but I do use it as a great excuse whenever I do something wrong. Uh, I'd say, I say it's because I play football and I get hit in the head a lot. If someone tries to argue that, I don't see how they can argue that. Yeah. So, like reading the quote, it's like it all obviously it sounds worse than this. So I heard him. I heard this live. Yeah, so I'm sure I, this is I, Gronk being Gronk. Yeah, yeah. Like it's completely ingest. It's completely funny. But it's just another example of the football mentality. And like, it's he says that ten years ago. He's playing ten years ago, and he says that no one. No one says a word. It's yeah. just oh, it's just Gronk being Gronk. It's hysterical. Yeah. But like now, it's like I don't. I can't imagine he does. He actually thinks that. You know, but it's just one of those things that, like, you can't say that. You know? Yeah, he, to me, he's a guy who freaking he, – he gives, like, gives it all he, gives it all out there on the field. Yeah. And he's had a bunch of injuries yeah. in the past. And to me, like, it, it, it makes sense that he would say something like yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, basically the question was – he was on the Dan Patrick show. And the question was basically he was they were referencing the, the Larry Fitzgerald stuff. And he was like, how do you feel about – basically do you – because he's come out and strongly um, opposed or – gotten upset about these D-backs who just dive at his legs because they can't tackle him. <laughs> like, they can't bring him down. Right. So the only way they're going to tackle him is they take his legs out. I've made so, this argument before of, like, I think it's cool to take his legs out if he's if he's looking at you. Yeah. Like, he's not defenseless. Yeah. 
but it's a, but like he's the one the one of the major examples of like it doesn't matter what scenario he's in if he's getting the ball or has the ball like dudes know they can't like they can't hit him high right it's just not gonna work yeah you know so uh, the question was in reference to that and he just completely made a joke out of it like uh, <laughs> right. gives me a good 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 ex- but like he does stupid stuff anyway so all right so basically just being blown out of proportion. Uh, next topic of discussion, which I'm a, I'm a little skeptical over, is Luke Keekley, uh has this is, has been wearing this device called a Q collar. To it's supposed to be an injury prevention or a concussion prevention device. I'm going to read off what the the premise behind it is, but basically the collar involves the use of a band-like flexible neck collar known as the Q collar that scientists hope will reduce the phenomenon known as brain slosh, which they're saying causes concussions. The impact of the brain against the inner skull, which is believed to be one of the inciting factors in the development of concussions. The collar, which fits snugly around the neck, causing gentle compression of the neck muscles and the interjugular veins, this is what threw me off and makes me think it's like a gimmick, is the result of a collaboration between researchers from the University of Cincinnati's Children Children's Medical Center and Q30 Innovations, the development arm of the ongoing research. The net effect of wearing the collar, according to its developers, is to increase the blood flow, the effective blood flow volume in the skull, thereby creating bubble wrap, in quotes, for the brain and, as the theory goes, reducing brain slosh against the inner walls of the skull. So that part, to me, it, it like, makes sense, but, like, why does this collar is it, is it it's just keeping more blood in your brain is that what it's like is that what it's saying but previously reported findings that head ramming sheep are able to increase blood volume in their skulls to withstand head impacts at high altitudes while woodpeckers naturally use their long tongues to compress their jugular vein to raise uh, venous pressure and both and are both compelling taken together the belief is that the mechanisms may produce a bubble wrap effect that the cue collar aims to recreate. When I when I saw this, I was like, okay, if we're trying to cut, like restrict blood flow or increase blood flow to the brain for people to be able to play football and prevent concussions, I'm like, there has to become a point where we're like, all right, maybe like we just shouldn't play football anymore. No, it's uh, this is another one of those things where I guess. I read the I read the article when you sent it to me today, and it was the, like the first three four paragraphs. I'm like, that makes sense. Yeah. Like this this is like a breakthrough thing. Yeah. And then you read the second half of the article, you're like, oh shit, like eh. woodpeckers. Well, it's like <laughs> ramming sheep. Like I get it, uh, I, and I think it. I, I would I would imagine he keeps it on all game, not just when he's playing, but like I don't know how fast it. Like how fast does this work? You know, like do you wear it when you're on the field, and then he comes to the sideline and he takes it off, and it's like whoo. So he's like. And then when he goes back on the field and he's going to get hit in the head, he's going to put it back on. But like you said, like, like oh, what? I'm also thinking too, like, you ever feel like you had a head rush before? Yeah. Like you're like, yeah, sit, yeah. like been upside down, yeah. like you have all the blood in your head. I'm like, how could you perform at like an NFL level with like that feeling all the time? I feel, I don't know. I just feel like that'd be really uncomfortable. Yeah. Like you said, I, I mean, they're, they're going to great lengths to find things that, but like, yeah, it's again, I don't want to be skeptical, but. It's very much a money thing, you know. Right. If, if the company X comes out with a product that they think is going to uh, stop concussions from happening, I mean, they're 
sitting on a gold mine because there's so much money in the NFL and there's so much money in football. Right. So like every, all these, all these head trauma companies are trying to find the next big thing in concussion prevention. But yeah, we'll link up that article for the listeners to check out the, the Q collar. Um, trying to think. All right. Next thing we got is the blue sideline medical tents, which I'm sure some of you listeners have seen. And as soon as we saw, we both text each other at the yeah. same time. Um, but basically the blue sideline medical tents are just like pop-up tents, allowing doctors to uh, and training staff a measure of privacy and calm when they're examining a player. These tents were will be noticeable from the stands. They're big enough and f- and to fit a training table. The afflicted player and all the doctors and staff members needed to perform a comprehensive test. So I, I don't. I'm skeptical of this. So Alabama's been doing this for three years. So they've had they I don't know if they already was their doctor's idea or what they've had it they've had it on their sidelines for three full years now and the NFL is just doing it now. It's very much to me one of these things that the NFL is doing to say look it's at visible yes yeah look at us this is what we're doing for injuries the blue we're, tent we're making it such a safer place where right. I, I mean to me it's like your doctors need a tent to be professional enough to look at a guy and I mean, base it from concussion, from, from a concussion standpoint, I, I help it. But now it just gives them an excuse to get it done faster. Like if they're going to test a guy for a concussion, they got to take him in anyway. But right. like, I guess what they said is, yeah, I, that it makes sense in that they can do run these tests without like the stimulation of the stands and the lights and all this stuff. Like I, I, I see that. But to me, it's very easy for the NFL to say all these things in an article and like feel like they're making themselves look good. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I, I think it's more gimmicky than anything. Um, I don't think it helps the doctors any. You know. I mean, I work in a hospital system, and like patient privacy is like huge. Like all these HIPAA violations yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. And I feel like if anything, this is like. Either way, the fans see the guy get hurt on the field, yeah. and he goes in a tent like. They can probably infer what what's going on, but I don't know. It's an interesting thing, and I just talked to Chris Nowinski in this week's episode. And he was talking about how the NFL was they're more cohesive or like connected in their approach to like I don't know projecting how safe they are or they're making the game. And I feel like this is one of those. No, it's a hu- could that's be a, one of those ways. That's a that's a huge thing, and especially the last two three years, like they're. The, they realize that the image that they have isn't as safe as, or it's a lot more noticeable now. You know, I don't think the game's that much different. You know, it's not any faster. Uh, it's not any more dangerous. You know, but um, they're very much aware of going to every length. And a lot of times, I don't think they follow through on a lot of it. But it's just showing you that we're they're thinking about all this stuff and they take it seriously. But right. at the end of the day, I'm still skeptic of how much they actually. Well, time will tell. All right. As we wrap up here, this is going to be a longer version of these episodes just because of it's the first week of the season. A lot of things happen in the off season. Um, but just to, to finish up, uh, Jeremy Lane was ejected for a punch on Devonte Adams this past week, and I saw the video and like it looked not like a punch at all. So no, but they they there was another thing that they said that it doesn't have to be a punch anymore. So, but like to me, 
yeah, it's week one. They're going to make an example out of it. People are going to complain about it. But if they're going to throw that guy out, as long as it's uniform, like, and that's a, that's a thing that I, you complain about all the time with the refs. Like, just from having so many different officiating crews, they all officiate the game differently. It's just like umpires in baseball. Home plate umpires have different strike zones, right. which is, like, infuriating to some diehard baseball fans. Um, but the re- officiating crews officiate games differently. So if that's – it's the, the rule isn't, you okay, you have to throw a punch, right? If you deem it excessive, even if it's not a punch, you can throw a guy out of the game. But if they're going to – if every situation like that, they're going to throw guys out of the games, good, do it, you know? That's right. like you said. It's another thing that you don't – I mean, it's really easy for me to say not playing. Like, I get it. I played sports. You get, you get riled up sometimes, and you can't – you don't control it. But – yeah. At some point, if they err on the side of ejecting guys, it'll stop. It'll stop. But it's one of those things, like we talked about in college, they can review it. Like if they have the ability to to, re- exactly. to review that, that, that's what reminded me to. Did to, they? To bring that up. Did they? Did those guys look at it and say, "All right, yeah, yeah. And, and maybe it wasn't as bad as we thought," you know? But it's just like we we, we talked about it a lot. But I think they should have the ability to 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 review um, defenses for senior hits. I mean, those are they should have the ability to review all penalties, you know. But that's a, I think that's a that's an officiating podcast for another day. Yeah. All right. To finish off the episode, we're going to talk about um, Vontae's perfect. I'm am I saying that right? Close enough. What is it? It's Von. Yeah, it's Vontae's perfect. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> perfect. Uh, with his preseason suspension, and I'm going to put the video up of this hit in the show notes but it was a pretty like brutal hit yeah. on a guy who had no idea yeah. that this, this is, he was coming this is exactly the rule that we're talking about and is the what he came basically came out and said like from the from the from the letter of the law like what he did technically wasn't illegal so like you can make contact within five yards people you can knock you can knock the receivers off their route within five yards but it's a play where, as a middle linebacker, like he sees the quarterback. He sees I, the quarterback's I, eyes. He knows where the, the quarterback threw – Alex Smith threw the ball, and you can tell it wasn't going to Sherman. Yeah. And I, was, just, I was watching – And I he was, just depleted him. I was watching his eyes. I was watching um, Alex Smith's – or no. Yeah, Alex yeah, Smith's yeah. eyes. Alex Smith was still playing. And I was like, yeah, he wasn't even – you could see he wasn't throwing to this guy. Yeah. It's But it's just – like we said, it's one of those things that it's – and it's an unnecessary play that doesn't need to be made. And that's what they're trying to take out of the game. And at the same time – I mean, he's had such a long history of, of, right. of stuff. Where he's a repeat if it was, defender. If it yeah. was uh, uh, offender, sorry. If it was their six-string linebacker who did that exact same play, who was a rookie undrafted free agent, he probably doesn't get suspended at all. You right. know? He probably gets fined. Yeah. But he's probably not getting suspended. I read an article when I was looking up this hit, and it talked about like, um, Burfick's background and how he had, like didn't have an easy life growing up and stuff like that, um, and it, it kind of talked about how like rage got him to where he is and that's kind of like what got him out of bad situations in the past and like i'm all for people like creating a new and better life like in the nfl like i think that's great but at the end of the day like at the expense of other people's personal health i feel like that's not a good reason or a a good excuse at least Um, the other point on this hit is that the his suspension was reduced from five games to three games. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know what goes into the appeal hearings and how they how they justify it. I mean, most times people having they they haven't been suspending a lot of guys for these defensive receiver hits unless you have a, a history a history of it. So that's really the only. Yeah, he's time been fined more than a million dollars over his career for illegal hits and unsportsmanlike conduct penalties. Yeah, so. so I mean, eventually at some point you got to make an example of somebody. So. Yeah. 
I, personally, I don't know if that guy's ever going to change. But all right, well, that that about wraps it up for week one of the NFL season for uh, our our first JK. But seriously, real football injury talk podcast. And Josh, thanks for having all the the names and pronunciations for me to to kick it off. I think this is a, co- a cool thing and that we can keep going. won't be as long going forward because no. I'm sure we don't have as much to talk about. But Yeah, it'll be a lot quicker going forward, but I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate it, dude. Yep.